Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. People have the opinion that if you've got a mental illness, then it means you're a bad Muslim. Mm. They'll question your faith and say, oh, okay, well, maybe you should try praying. Maybe you should try fasting. And they don't necessarily see it as a legitimate medical, you know, thing. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen, and today we're going to be talking to Jamila Heckman. She's the founder of Mental Health for Muslims, and she's written a chapter in It's Not About the Burqa, a new anthology all about Muslim women today. We're going to be talking to her about mental health in the Muslim community and her own experience with anxiety and depression. So you run a mental health site specifically for Muslim people. I do. You do? I do. Why is that? Why is it important to have a space specifically for people who are Muslim? I think that it definitely helps in the recovery process to know like how you can mix, how you can use your faith as part of the recovery. And also I think understanding mental health, because there's a lot of stigma in the Muslim community surrounding mental health. So I think it's good to kind of dispel that stigma. What is the stigma like or the treatment of mental health in the Muslim community? So it's different in the community to what the religion actually says, as Mm. a lot of things are. (laughs) So within the community, there's a lot of stigma around mental health and people have the opinion that if you've got a mental illness, then it means you're a bad Muslim. Mm. They'll question your faith and say, oh, okay, well, maybe you should try praying. Maybe you should try fasting. And they don't necessarily really see it as a legitimate medical you know thing because I've read a lot about kind of religion and mental illness having quite a tricky relationship yes because <laughs> I think I've read about people who have been told oh oh you're not really mentally ill it's just a demon inside you or if you just pray it yes. away yeah 
it will yep. be fine. Have you had any experience of that kind of thing? I mean, I was quite lucky in that that didn't happen with me. But yeah. once I kind of got diagnosed with anxiety and depression and did some research about other people that were diagnosed, then it came out that people were having these opinions, you know, that you've got, yeah, a demon inside you or that, you know, you're just not being a good enough Muslim and yeah. that that will cure it all. Um, Which is not helpful. And people, you know, they'll encourage you to go and see an imam, like a, a Muslim religious figure, rather than going to see a doctor, mm. which to me doesn't make any sense. I mean, I would understand seeing both, but not the imam instead of the doctor. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Do you think it's a generational thing as well? I think so, yeah. I think younger Muslims are more kind of you know, understanding of these things like mental illness. I think with the older generation, and I think a lot of it probably stems from the way in which the older generations sort of immigrated over. So they were kind of, you know, a lot of them very poor and they just kind of had an attitude of get on with it and mm. just do what you need to do basically. And so they kind of uh, still have that mentality they probably ha themselves have mental illness too, but they're just not addressing it. Um, whereas we're kind of, our generations more want to speak out about it. So in how, what was your experience like with your own mental health? When did you get diagnosed? What led you to diagnosis? So I was always a very anxious child. And I'll always say this because I would, you know, and I think I got a, a few bits of it I picked up from my mum. Like we'd be in the car on the way to school and we'd have to turn around because she thought she'd left the hair straighteners on, that kind of thing. And, you know, I'd get very anxious if I was late for anything. And it kind of stemmed from from there but I didn't get properly diagnosed until I was at university so I think I was 20 or 21 when I first got diagnosed and in my second year of uni I was on a year abroad in Jordan and I woke up one morning and my heart was racing and I was like what is wrong with me so just below where I lived there was a pharmacy so I went to the pharmacy and she was like you need to go to the hospital I went, they thought I was having a heart attack, made me do loads of tests like blood tests, heart ECGs, all lovely medical things. Cost my insurance a thousand pounds. So I'm very grateful for the NHS. Oh, <laughs> um, um, and then they just said, yeah, it was stress related. And they just said it was a panic attack. And I didn't realize that, you know, things that were going on mentally could cause so many physical symptoms. Yeah. So then I kind of ignored it for a while. Um, and then... I came back to the UK for my third and fourth year of uni. And at that point, my dad and my younger brothers and sisters had moved back to Libya. That's where he's from. That kind of worry of it being a war zone, like it just made me, I was very anxious all the time. I ended up having to postpone exams. So it was my lecturers who kind of prompted me to, you know, go and get a diagnosis. Mm. But at first it was mainly, you know, I thought, oh, okay, it's just because I'm stressed and it it'll pass after my exams and it didn't pass and um, so since I think 2015 I've been properly diagnosed with anxiety and depression yeah how did you feel when you were diagnosed it was kind of a relief because you know then they talk to you about solutions mm -hmm. also there's kind of that stigma so I had two very close friends who both were diagnosed with um, depression and I think it helped me having those friends because you know they kind of knew what I was going through and I could talk to them about it and I think if I didn't have them it would have probably been a lot more difficult but yeah it, was, it felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulder in a way yeah definitely and especially yeah. when you thought things are so physical yeah as well I think everyone who's spoken to you has had a panic attack the first time they're like 
I am dying. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah, because that's do what feel it feels like. You're like. Dying. Yeah, it's terrifying. So when you were diagnosed, were you able to talk to your family about it? Kind of, mm. and I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. It's still a conversation that not every. I haven't said everything to my family. Yeah, and that's weird because I've written about it in a book that's out, but I haven't ha- sat down and really had a conversation with. You know, I've spoken to my mum more about it because I live with her, so I can't really avoid the topic sometimes. Um, But my dad, I don't think he knows anything, to be honest, because I I think I always felt like it was a burden telling someone who had enough to deal with, Mm. which saying that out loud sounds a bit stupid, to be honest. (laughs) This is turning into therapy now. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, it's it's just a difficult conversation. And before this book chapter came out, I kind of had to say to my sister, I was like, Leila, um, you know, I talk about a lot of things in here. I speak about how I was suicidal. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be a really deep conversation. And she just messaged me back saying, yeah, I know. I've seen your Twitter. I was like, <laughs> okay. Cool. Thanks. All right, then save me a conversation. That's one bonus of writing because yeah. I did the same thing. I was like, I don't have to have any of these conversations. I can just send them the article. Yeah. And I can read it and then I'll just leave them to it. Exactly. That's yeah. how my parents felt about all my mental illness <laughs> issues, which was great. Much easier. So how did your experience of mental health and religion, how did those play into each other? How did it affect it? So when I was first diagnosed, it didn't really occur to me that there was anything, you know, weird about being Muslim and having a mental illness. But I started doing some research and, you know, all this negativity started coming out. So I went to my local imam and I was kind of like, well, they've prescribed me medication. But, you know, all these things are saying, oh, I should just, you know, stick to prayer and fasting and stuff like that. And he just he was really, really nice. And he just, you know, said you if it was, you know, a broken leg or a physical illness, then you would go to the doctor, you would do what the doctor said. So why should it be any different for a mental illness? It was like, you do what you need to do to get better. So I was very lucky. Yeah, it was, was lovely. Um, but, you know, having, because I've worked for mental health charities before and I still do um, volunteer for for one. And the stories that I hear are so unlike mine Mm. you know people are very unsupportive people feel so alone in talking Mm. about mental illness people feel very judged and that people are looking at them differently because they've opened up about this kind of thing I think there's still a huge misconception even not in the Muslim community that it somehow changes who you are as a person and I think that's what scares a lot of people especially within a community that you know, we might not be as educated on mental illness as other people are Mm. because it's not something spoken about, basically. Why do you think it isn't spoken about still? It's difficult. (sighs) It's difficult. And I think people just try and play it because it's easier to say this is happening to you because you're a bad Muslim rather than opening up a big can of worms and thinking, okay, no, this traumatic thing happened to me or, you know, I actually have something wrong with my brain and it needs sorting out. I think it's easier just to say, oh no, go and pray. Make sure you go to the mosque five times a day and that will sort it out. And then also, you know, it's easier to say, there's a demon inside you. Let me take you to the imam because that is somehow more acceptable than having a mental illness. It's, Yeah, I think it's just the easy way out, basically. Mm. 
But I think that it's similar for even if you're not religious, everyone yeah. wants to prescribe a simple thing where it's like, just go for a run. Yeah. Like, you'll be fine. Yeah. But when you bring religion into it, there's this whole other very personal aspect. Yeah. And it's almost like you feel guilty for not doing these things or not doing what people think are th- thinking are enough of these things. But I've met Muslims who, you know, pray like twice or uh, they fast twice a week and pray all their five prayers even in the mosque and they still go through mental illness so I don't think it's you know it's not something that only affects the non-religious or the less religious exactly yeah I think it's difficult to unlearn that it's not like you're not failing at being a Muslim because you're mentally ill I think that's something that maybe needs to be kind of challenged and spoken about more yeah especially because you know, they might struggle with doing certain things that other people think are, you know, compulsory. So Mm. like prayer, like fasting, people might struggle with doing those basic things. And then people judge you because of that. And they don't understand kind of the complexities around it. You know, some days people can't even get out of bed. So how are they going to go and, you know, make ablutions for prayer and then go to pray? It's a very long, arduous task for someone who, you know, is depressed and cannot leave their bed. Mm. And I don't think people understand that. I think people just ascribe it to laziness. Yeah. Like, oh, you can't be bothered. Yeah. No, literally can't get out of yeah, bed, can't exactly. really go to the mosque or exactly. do anything else. How do you think your experience of mental illness has affected your relationship with religion? Because I think we've kind of spoken about the other way around. Yeah. But not, does it mean, did it ever make you question your religion or did you I find solace in it? I found, yeah, a lot of solace in it. And I don't think it ever made me question it. It didn't make me distant from Islam. It made me Mm. more distant from Muslims, which is an odd thing. But because of the negativity around it, you kind of don't want to speak to a lot of Muslims because you're afraid they won't understand. Um, But because I find solace in things like going to the mosque, then I can do that and I can, I'm free to do that. You know, it's easier to do that by myself than with a group of friends and, you know, have that quiet time to myself. I find that easier. Have you spoken to other Muslims about mental health? I speak to them about it all the time. Good, cool. <laughs> um, and I think people now have started to say to me that because I speak about it, they find it easier, mm. which is great because I speak about it mainly because I don't shut up in day-to-day life. So I find it easy to speak to people I don't know about it. So, for example, on Twitter or on Facebook, I find it easier to speak to people who I don't know about my what I'm going through and that somehow I don't know how has given people the courage to be able to do speak about it themselves but then you know we spoke about me talking to my parents and I'm still a coward in doing that it's not cowardly it's just easier to talk to people you don't know I think I think there's such a difference like I'm I will happily blurt out the most embarrassing like weird things about myself on the internet knowing that like thousands of people can see but if you ask me to speak to like a friend about it yeah that's too personal like it's just uncomfortable I feel like it's a completely different skill yeah it's just a level of personalness personalness (laughs) sure that's the word yeah have you ever had any negative reactions to sharing your story or even writing the chapter I don't know because I kind of block people that are negative (laughs) I don't even argue with them and I've muted so many people on Twitter who I think are going to be negative good I, I did have one of my friends who is a medical student 
nonetheless say to me that he doesn't think mental illness is a thing and I was like I really fear for your patients so hopefully he's getting you know a bit did more you, did you try that. to explain or were you just I like, did no. I, I explained I sent him some links and then kind of yeah left him save to your it. own patients like, yeah but other than that, I have been quite lucky in that I haven't had that much negativity. And I don't know if that's because I've been so open and honest about everything. They don't dare question me. Um, but yeah, I no, can't say I've had to too much negativity. What kind of positive response had you had? Apart from you mentioned that some people said they feel more able to be open yeah. because you've been open. I think just I've had sympathy from people but that's almost weird in a way because you don't want people to feel sorry for you and you don't want people to treat you any differently than you know if one of my friends finds out that I've got um, a mental illness I don't want them to treat me any differently basically and I think that's something that's a response I've had or a response that I'm scared of having I think Um, but hopefully it won't happen. If anyone is listening and they are also Muslim and also experiencing mental health issues, are there any things that they should know about navigating how to get support or anything that they're up against that they might not be aware of? I think so. I was doing some research and a lot of Muslims are scared of getting support because either they're fearful that the practitioner is going to be Islamophobic and um, discriminate against them because of because of their religion or that they don't have an understanding of the Muslim faith so they can't kind of see how much people can use faith in recovery but also in what ways the Muslim community might be you know, harming someone's mental health. Mm. Do you go to therapy? I have been in the past. Yes. Yes. Did you find that your therapist understood that side of your life? It was very odd. I found she was a bit judgmental, which wasn't great. But then I also, when I was in therapy, it was kind of, I was referred there. It was like an emergency kind of referral. So it was during a really, really stressful time. So I was kind of just grateful to have someone to listen to. But then what happened with my therapy is I think I was about halfway in through the sessions and I had an email and they said, unfortunately, due to funding, we have to shut down. And so oh it was kind God. of like they opened they opened all these wounds and then they couldn't stick the plasters back That's on. Like the basically. worst possible thing to it do. Was, yeah. So I think. Did you get other therapy after that? No. Nothing? No. So I was kind of, I was leaving, it was during uni and I was about to leave the city. So I kind of couldn't continue with it. Yeah. Um, I didn't have time to find anything else. Um, So I kind of went back to the doctor and they prescribed me medication and, you know, I took the different route. But I think it's really good to try as many things as possible because what works for someone might not work for someone else. And, you know, what's worked for you for the last year, you might need something different. Like, for example, my medication currently is making me so tired all the time. What are you on? Sertraline. Yeah, I know a lot of sertraline people. (laughs) Are you recently on it? No. Oh, it's it's just randomly. It's making me, it's like I can't handle the tiredness anymore because I've got a full-time job. Yeah, that's awful. At uni is fine because you sleep sleep whenever you want. (laughs) No, because I went through the same thing when I started fluoxetine. But now okay. it's fine. But like I was literally falling asleep everywhere. Yeah. If I sat on the sofa or even like in one of these chairs for a second, I would just 
Like, luckily, my uh, the stop to go home on the train is the end of the line. Perfect. So people can wake me up then and I won't have, like, you know, gone all the way yes. to Brighton or something. So that's fine. That is fine, too. How important do you think it is for if someone were to find a therapist that mm-hmm. they either are Muslim or you know that they understand Islam? I think it's fairly important, but I think people are getting a lot more training. So, for example, I think it was just... Before Christmas, I trained um, a branch of the Samaritans about um, mental health in the Muslim community, what kind of issues they might have and kind of the cultural and religious things that surround mental health in the community. Mm-hmm. So I think people are making an effort to learn about it. Yeah. I think it's good that, you know, that people are trying basically. And there are a lot of specialist Muslim organizations that are cropping up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't sort of say oh only find a muslim therapist because you know sometimes people find it easier not to talk to a muslim because they don't think they're going to get judged so it's just finding what works for you i think affected by any of the issues we discussed today please contact the samaritans on 116 123 or go to their website at samaritans.org if you enjoyed this episode please give us a review on itunes give us a follow on twitter at mentally yours yrs and find our facebook group if you search mentally yours thanks very much to our producer juliet nichols and to lucy baker for the jingles see you next week What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.